0: Everyone and good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're listening and watching from. My name is Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by PingBong Payments. This is episode 151. You've made it to my corner of the internet, where I bring you the best and brightest minds in the Amazon and e-commerce space. That could be anything from marketing, to product listings, to supply chain management, to anything in between. That is what this show is all about. So thank you for joining in, spending some time with us today. Uh, Before we get started, hopefully everyone had a great holiday weekend. If you're here in the United States, uh, Labor Day weekend is when we are doing this. So, or excuse me, right after Labor Day weekend uh, is when we're doing this. So we hope you had a nice restful, relaxing weekend. Now it's time to get excited about Q4. I feel like this is the first last holiday before even Halloween. But then even for most people in this industry, you're going to be talking about Q4 and that's what we're going to be diving into today, a little bit of part of, but before we kind of get too deep into everything, just want to give a shout out to this, uh, the sponsor of this podcast, and that is Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is what drives crossover commerce. They help over now 1 million customers worldwide, transacting over $150 million plus every single day in cross-border payments. Now to date doing $90 billion in crossover, uh, cross-border payments. What does that mean to you, the listener? Well, that means saving more time, money, and effort. Uh, the topic we're going to be talking about today is going to be, uh, supply chain management and, and various aspects of it. But how do you help save money when you're helping and paying your supplier your manufacturer, uh, VAs, any of your employees worldwide, you can do that and save more money by doing that with Ping Pong Payments. It's free to sign up. Go ahead and check the link in the comment section or in the show notes if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform. That being said, again, uh, subscriptions represent kind of about the topic we want to jump into today. Uh, They represent, subscriptions represent a multi-billion dollar industry that is expected to continue to grow over the next few years uh, for companies considering expanding their e-commerce operations and adding a subscription sales channel, there are very few considerations that if you haven't considered, maybe you should. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Subscriptions can be anything from goods to services, um, but mainly it can be anything from every quarter, every week, or every month, you'd be getting something new, either cultivated with a group of products or your own products that you might be selling with people. You see them all the time. And uh, I, I, I myself just subscribed to a craft box subscription for six months, um, just something new and different that my wife and I could do on a, on a date night, but that can be anything from new products that are upcoming brands. Uh, if you want eco-friendly, it, you, you can really have all these different topics that you can fit a subscription into. And that's what's fascinating is that not a lot of people are talking about that, but we are today. That being said, I wanted to invite on our guest today. Her name is DC Sfreg- uh, Sfregula, uh, excuse me, of New Gen Architects. Uh, she has been in the supply chain a uh, professional problem solver and studied in Argentina and Belize and lived in Italy and Germany extensively in her company. Uh, she's actually a certified supply chain professional uh, from ASCM, uh, which she is a member. And she's also a certified in a model builder and trainer. But what she is known for is helping people problem solve. And that is what, if you're a listener to the show, I always say supply chain management is always a puzzle uh, it takes a, pu- a puzzler, it's a puzzling situation, but it takes a person who can see different topics and put all the pieces together. So it's streamlined, you save time, money, and effort, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So without further ado, I wanted to make sure a uh, warm welcome to our guest on Crossover Commerce. Uh, DC, DC, welcome to Crossover Commerce. How are you?
1: I am Great. It's good morning for me also.
0: Good so, morning. Yeah. I was gonna to say sunrise. it's early afternoon good for me. On my side. <laughs> <laughs> that's all yeah. right. Because you're joining us from New Mexico.
1: This is New Mexico.
0: There sure you go. See how many
1: people <laughs> <that> in <is.
0: laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, so it's in uh the what western part of New Mexico, closer the to North, California?
1: Southeast. it's northeast, no, excuse me, southeast because Texas is here. I'm like looking mm-hmm. at the map. This is Texas, this is New Mexico. This is the border of Texas and Las Cruces is down here. Like okay. 40 so
0: southeastern off. part closer yeah. to Texas. Gotcha. No, yeah. interesting. Well, thank you for joining us today. You, you have such an extensive background in this, uh, in this area and industry, but, uh, you're with your own company right now. Correct. You're the co-founder, but we'll kind of walk us through why, do you, why get into this space. I, I personally know the story and I asked you about this when we initially talked, but for those people who are out there and listening to this for the first time, Uh, Why get into supply chain management and kind of why did you get into this uh, space uh, yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I am happy to answer that. And I love talking about this um, because I think that supply chain is very much a space that doesn't have a ton of new blood and a ton of representation. Um, from people who don't fit the traditional profile um, of what a supply chain practitioner looks like. So whenever someone asks me, I always love to tell the story because I didn't necessarily fit that mold. It was never something that I thought, oh, I'm going to go into supply chain management. Um, so I actually went to school um, very like liberal arts focused, um, ended up getting a degree in uh, Spanish linguistics and literature. And then from there, I went into sales and marketing. Um, so that's what I was doing in um, in Italy. I went into public relations for a little bit, and then from there, um, did some sales and marketing. And then I also did a stint as a flight attendant for Delta Airlines. Really? So, okay. So so that was um, you know kind of like a piece of customer service. One thing I will say, Delta has in a very robust, very good customer service um, training. I will not, you know, put any absolute statements to say Delta is the best airline because I'm sure someone will disagree. But having gone through the customer service training, a lot of that is what I fall back on when I'm working with clients. Um, so, uh, anyway, 2016, um, I decided to go back to school. Uh, for industrial engineering. So, my dad is actually um, an engineer. He's doing his PhD right now in electrical engineering. Wow. And, yeah, I don't know why he would ever want to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but he really tried to get me an undergrad to like go to engineering. Like, you should do engineering. You're really good at it. And I was never good at math. Um, so, I steered clear of math and physical science, et cetera. Um, and then like I said, 2016, I decided, okay, let me see what my dad was talking about when he said that I would be good for engineering. Um, Because when I think about engineering, I would not be good at engineering. (laughs) But he obviously has some different perspectives. So um, I ended up going back to school, I got um, a scholarship to come back to the States. And go to school um, in Atlanta at Kennesaw State University. Um, so I chose. I was choosing between Georgia Tech and, and KSU. And um, at the time, I was not a traditional student. Um, you know, I was newly married, so I was a newlywed. My husband didn't speak English. He was waiting on a green car. We had just moved back from Europe. Um, so I just, I couldn't do like class, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 to 10.50 in the morning. Like that just didn't work for my schedule. Um, And KSU had more flexible like nights, weekends, once a week, as opposed to, you know, trying to fit in Tuesday and Thursday, things like that. Um, So I ended up going to KSU for industrial engineering and started working um, for a logistics company, a 3PL. Um, mm-hmm. That focused on the small and medium business space. Uh, so that's when I first got my f- first dose of like logistics, transportation, um, the enormous cost that it is on the P and um, that line item, and warehousing and pallets and containers and you know lanes and and all of that. And it was very interesting. Um, you know, kind of going back to your point of the puzzle. They're so like you're trying to optimize so many things you want to minimize this, but maximize that. And your your constraints are here and but you can't do this in this way. So it requires a lot of just, you know, okay, where can I put this? Where can I put that? You know, kind of Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, that was very interesting to me. And then in continuing to do more courses, you learn more about like, Quality and manufacturing and production and Six Sigma and just all of these very technical pieces and topics that still require a lot of creativity. Also because a lot of these concepts and ideas were created decades ago. I mean, when you when you sit and um, you're in class and they show you like this is a video, you know, of dimming or you know, like this is what right. we're going to talk about today. It's like you know, '80s, '90s, like the way people dress. It's so. Yeah. You know, I don't say old school because a lot of the concepts still, you know, work like the underlying laws of gravity still exist. No matter. (laughs)
0: Exactly. The concepts are there. But yeah, efficiencies are different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so there are some underlying principles that are absolutely still relevant. But I mean, we live in a whole different world than. The, the you know experts and practitioners did decades ago. Um, there was not so much data, there wasn't all these tools, the world wasn't so connected. Um, I mean, if like I could start a company today, e-commerce, knowing that I could literally have customers from the entire world. <laughs> so right. it, it's a whole different ball game now. So it just requires a new perspective on some of the old ideas. Um, so that's why I really liked the idea of getting into the supply chain because I'm someone that learns very fast and other careers or other jobs left me very much like, okay, I did that, now what? Okay, what can I do now? Great. Next. Move um,
0: on. Yeah. Once you yeah, get the word, you move on. But exactly. but
1: with the supply chain, that's not the case. <laughs> I feel like I'm actually always a step behind. There's always something more I could be learning. There's always something else I could be doing. Um, so that is my happy place to feel like you know, you you can always improve and you can always continue to grow, but And, you know, I say this not in a cliche way, but, um, you know, all business decisions at some point manifest themselves in the supply chain. So like financial constraints, whatever your financial budgets are like that at some point manifests itself, either in how you design products, how you ship products, your network, um, you know, like where you actually put the nose of your supply chain, marketing Promotions, all of that then affects inventory, your HR decisions. You know, how are you going to train upskill people? That especially now is very relevant with all the new technologies and, you know, changing consumer behaviors. So every piece of the business touches supply chain. So you talk about looking at like the high level and seeing how all the points connect. If that is something that drives you, then supply chain is very interesting no day is the same it's very fast paced and when people understand their role in the process which is not always the case but when people understand their role in the process you realize that you have a very important purpose in this whole thing So, yes, at the end of the day, you want to make money. You want to make money by selling to customers. You want to have, you know, good profit margins, et cetera. But when you're in supply chain, you literally directly affect that. You directly affect customer, you know, decisions of continuing to buy this product or going to a competitor. Um, So when you're able to say, I'm bringing value, like you are bringing value by working in supply chain. Um, So, you know, kind of all of those things together, being able to always learn and grow, um, being able to solve puzzles, connect the dots um, and being able to just kind of always be on your toes and have fun and have a purpose. Like that is what really just drove me to stay in supply chain and say, you know what, I think I found the thing that I'm going to dedicate myself to for the rest of forever because I'm never going to stop learning.
0: Absolutely, I think for a lot of listeners who are out there, you've you've touched a nerve because a lot of people are already commenting in and saying like, "Amen!" Like you've <laughs> you've hit the nail on the head. So uh, I've thrown some of, of them up there on the video chat. But yeah, DC, I, I think I think uh, you made an interesting comment. Your dad said you wanted to get to engineering. I, my my uh, family also said that. My dad's an engineer um, at Purdue University, but uh, he works on the computer side of things. But I think in the old I. I'm gonna compare this and, and correct me if I'm wrong engineering in the old way was hey how to how to get from point a to point B and kind of problem solve but it was mainly just math focused hey you're gonna apply math every day every day of your life but now in engineering you can think of how to efficiently connect those dots and make it efficient almost like what you're doing today how to efficiently piece things together so in theory you are doing engineering but on a on a global scale on a more uh you know intuitive, way of not just uh coding or any sort of electric uh you know um i'm not going to try to pretend that i know all the phrases for engineering but uh but for for the right do you follow do you follow what i'm saying but like you have to have this visionary concept of hey if i have to eliminate a piece of the puzzle and it's going to save me five days of of you know my product being on the water that's a win that that's going to save my client money or it's going to save me time and efficiencies it's kind of making things work for you um, and make it more streamlined instead of you know how are, how are all these jumbled pieces actually if it could get clogged up pretty quickly um, so that means that i'm, I'm kind of curious so you have your background you got into it you're continuously learning every single day people uh, in this space are are always asking these questions of, or like have frustrations of pulling out their hair of why is it, why are my goods taking so much longer? Or why is things all of a sudden getting more expensive? Um, There's all these different questions of now the spotlight is on this particular industry. Are you getting these questions too, or is it always been kind of there and looming now? Everything's just kind of hit all at once. And it's kind of a perfect storm, if you will, of, you know what? Why everyone's paying attention now to the supply chain more than ever.
1: Um, I think it's a, a little bit of both. So, of course, being in the logistics side of s- supply chain for the first couple of um, for the first couple of months, when I was just getting my feet wet, there was always the question of, especially working in shipping. You know, as a free PL, the customers always asked, "Where's my stuff?" like our customers, you know, like right. oh, I put this order from the supplier, um, why isn't it here? Um, and where's the truck to pick this up? Why hasn't it arrived? Um, so that internally for me, yeah, it's always been, where's my stuff? So like, it's, it's always late. <laughs> um, but from like outside of that context and outside of that world of just, you know, for lack of a certain layman's, you know, terms, no no one as like my husband used to tell people i worked for ups because <laughs> that was the only way that he could connect what i do to what like he was trying to explain to people who had no idea what the term supply chain even meant. So he used to tell people that, like, I did shipments for UPS or something like that was the way that he could wrap his brain about it. And I actually remember a couple of months ago, I don't remember where I saw it, but um, someone said that working in supply chain is a thankless job because no one notices anything until it's not working. So as long as stuff is there and as long as the wheels are turning, people are just like, okay, cool. Like, that's what I expect. But the moment that stuff isn't where you think it's going to be, (laughs) that's when the spotlight comes on and is where is all of my stuff why can't I get this at the store? Why right. is this now discontinued? Um, we, we're we getting windows replaced at our house and it's a 14-week lead time right now right. Um, because everything has just slowed down. So uh, there, there's definitely a lot more spotlight and it, it helps to provide spotlight also that now governments are, you know, we need to do supply chain analysis and I want... I want to know everything like why this happened and how we can prevent it in the future and there's so much talk about why everything kind of happened the way it did and it is happening the way it is in the last year and a half um Mm -hmm. or so so it's it's definitely been interesting from my perspective to hear all the different theories So nearshoring, reshoring, um, no, people have said that's not going to happen, like, or by this time, we're all connected. You can't even think of how long it would actually take to, you know, change suppliers and manufacturing. And there's just so many different pieces, tariffs and, you know, um, just geopolitical Things um, and then aside from just you know people being at home and not necessarily wanting to go and and work in factories and warehouses in the way that they used to. Um, so it's it's one of those things. I was actually literally just thinking about this yesterday. Um, I'm interested to see where the world is going to be in ten to fifteen years because this is one of those pivotal points just in human history where like, there's so many different pieces. We're talking about supply chain, but you know, like consumer behavior, are people going to go back to the store or are they going to keep ordering stuff online? Um, are companies like, what's going to happen to commercial real estate? You know, are companies going to still be leasing office space or, you know, are they going to have these different hybrid work environments or remote only um what is it going to look for school and for families now going forward? like this is a pivotal point not just in supply chain but like everywhere so I was just thinking like I'm really interested to see where everything lands you know in the next 10 to 15 years
0: right I, it's it's one of those uh this compare and contrast, I think the meme, or online, I, lo- I love me a good meme, uh, I'll, I'll say this DC and say, uh, if you looked back to when you were born, like I'm 32, I just turned 32 yesterday. So uh, you look, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, if you look back 32 years and you look forward 32 years, for example, it's kind of scary where it, like, what that would be 2051 or something like that. Uh, yeah, 2051. And you think about that, you're like, oh my God, if I look forward and wind back time back to the good old 1989, or if you look forward 32 years, it's almost scary to think like that perspective of time. You're like, oh, I was so young and like that seems so close to now. But then you fast forward it 32 years, for example, it, it, it changes your whole perspective on the future. So that that kind of being said, uh, it, it's, it's brought this highlight, this pain points kind of, you know, have manifested itself. Uh, just in general, you mentioned your windows, it's six weeks lead time. I think uh, when I went to the, uh, we're getting our fireplace replaced, they were saying, hey, if you get this one model or just any of these, they said, don't even think about it, getting that installed until 2022, in three months into 2022. And it, it starts me, it makes me think that there's so much out of my control. What, how do we either feel more comfortable about what we can control in this space? And then maybe, how do you, how do you kind of adapt and maybe that's part of our topic today, right? Is planning for demand and supply planning for subscriptions is, does that have a difference on what you're planning for when you're talking about subscription models versus, you know, bulk ordering items? Does that have a significance uh, difference between the two?
1: It does. Um, From, from a demand supply planning perspective, if you kind of go back to um, basic core concepts, you're looking at comparing like your push versus your pull system and those two are planned very differently and they manifest themselves in different costs um, and most importantly planning like the actual planning process of who's going to be involved and Um, When do I need to send the demand signal? What data do I need? Um, The subscription um, side is more so your customer pulling from your inventory versus you just pushing it out. You don't just buy in bulk and then hope that people will order and then push out what you have in inventory. It requires a very concerted effort of bringing all of your different um, trading partners, whether they be internal or external, um, within the network, everyone has to communicate. So um, I actually was just reading a couple of days ago, uh, I believe it was a McKinsey study, when people are trying to decide you know how are we going to set up our network and you know are we going to outsource this piece or do this piece in house and are we going to do push versus pull and where are we going to you know do the push versus the pull because you have different nodes of your supply chain so you don't maybe you push up to one piece and then you pull the rest or you know you pull the whole way through etc um but basically the study said If you really look at the financials of companies who decide to do one way versus the other, there's no real difference. Like if you look at a bit of, there's no real material, significant, statistically significant difference in which one is better over the other. It all comes down to the actual operating processes and the people. So how are you communicating? How are you um, uh, sharing data? How are you uh, who's accountable responsible for this piece versus the other piece? And when you are in supply chain, that has to happen. When you are trying to plan for subscriptions, even more so because now what you have to do, um, and this is specifically thinking about this comment is for um, like curating. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of you have three basic subscriptions. So you you mentioned that subscriptions are a multi billion dollar industry right now, um, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, and, and, well, it's crazy to think about how much it is now and how much it's projected to be. So in twenty twenty five, McKinsey projects like four hundred billion dollars. Wow. So so we're at like in two thousand eighteen we we're at thirteen. So you know we're sitting at 15, 18. So that's how much growth they're expecting between now and then based off of, you know, market signals and consumer behavior. So if you think about how much opportunity there is, you know, you have your subscription models, which are, you know, I have a Netflix subscription. I added Showtime to, you know, my prime subscription. Like that's, that's one piece of it. Then Mm -hmm. the other have like your replenishments and your curating services. So I personally have a toothbrush subscription Um, and you mentioned like your, you know, your your food, your meal subscription. On the toothbrush subscription and on the toothpaste subscription, I know as a consumer, I don't have to remember to put toothpaste on the grocery list. I also don't have to remember to change my toothbrush every three months, like the dentist told me, because for just $10 every three months, that's going to arrive at my doorstep that from a customer perspective is it from my personal perspective, also as an entrepreneur, a mother, a wife, like trying to run my house, like one less thing on my cognitive load. I will take it, especially for $10 every three months. Um, They send you the battery. So you don't have to worry about putting that in. Um, And it develops a revenue stream that, you as a company know what's going to be there. I know Mm -hmm. I'm going to have very likely this number of subscriptions for replenishment,
0: right? It's something you can bank on for revenue purposes.
1: Exactly. That's a little bit less complex in my opinion than curating. So if you have a subscription service, I was on um, a subscription service when I was pregnant and uh, you know, as a, as a mom, you're like trying to figure out, okay, month one, what's going to be the problem? Month two what's going to be, the you know, month three, what do I need now? But this subscription box sends you a box every month. And I think you mentioned earlier, like it wasn't their products. They were curating Mm -hmm. these products that were, you know, organic. Um, Hey mom, in month five, you're probably feeling like this. Hey mom, it's month two, you're probably feeling like this. We think you would love this. The joy of getting that box every month and like opening it to see, oh, what fun, cool new thing is gonna be in here now. That is a very good experience from the customer perspective. But what does that mean from the company perspective? There is a lot that goes into me opening that box and being so happy with everything that's in it. And even saying, oh, this thing, maybe that's not as you know interesting of what I would want, but everything else in here is so cool that I'm gonna continue the subscription. Because you then have to invest in your curating team. Someone's gotta have a pulse on the market. It's like having a buyer, you know, if you think about retail and who's deciding what's going to go on the Nordstrom Rack, um, you have your buyers. I have a friend Mm -hmm. studying that in school. And honestly, until like two weeks ago, I never knew what her job was, like (laughs) what she was trying to do. And I was like, Rachel from Friends,
0: guys. Come on. That's so easy.
1: Um, So like you have to have the people who know, like, what are the cool new products? Um, What what are what is our customer base looking for? how are we going to continue to include things in this box to keep our customer base? So, you know, you were previously maybe focusing on how do you get new customers, but customer action is very expensive. Every like if you've been in sales and you've done sales training, they always tell you it's least it's, it's less expensive to keep your current customers happy than to have them leave and try to get new customers. Mm-hmm. So churn and like subscription cancellations, I think they're like 40%. So that's actually kind of high. So you have to continue to always be on top of understanding the customer experience and curating that experience when you curate your box of whatever you're sending. So you have to have the data inputs from the customer, like they provide qualitative inputs to say, "Hmm, I didn't like this, don't send me this next time. Um, mm-hmm. But you also then have to have a system to take that information from somewhere. So you have your customer service team that will gather that data, but then from there you have to actually do something with it. So right. you have to have a communication process to then say, okay, thank you for that input, customer service team. Now, marketing or curation team you know these are the inputs that we got from customers last time around or
0: product yeah product purchaser. Yeah, don't buy exactly. this line ever again because no one likes it or no one wants to purchase it exactly. and they, i think there's a good yeah a good example of that would be i think stitch fix just as a, a soft goods perspective of they ask you all these different quizzes like they prompt you what are your style like what do you like what do you not like how often do you want um your, your carry to box and again they base it on seasonality if you have upcoming events they keep it kind of fresh in that aspect but once the, if you they they reward you I so say reward you by keeping more of your product of their product that they send you then saying I just want one you know set of shoes and a belt or something like that when you buy more you're rewarded with more of a discount and it's actually more cost prohibitive to keep everything and not have them send it back because again, the shipping and cost logistics to send things back, it's more expensive nowadays. So they're trying to get you to spend more, but also keep more. So, but curating, knowing what you're keeping, knowing what you like, how it fits you, things like that. You're constantly giving that feedback back to your product team, saying, so hey, maybe- you in turn yeah. have
1: to also give that feedback to inventory and the supply team because right. you don't want to stitch fix Stylist, you know, using Stitch Fix as an example, you don't want a Stitch Fix stylist to get a consumer profile and know that this consumer wants these items or these types of items, and it's not in stock. Because right. then you you send something that you know they're not going to keep for the sake of just sending something, because what they really want is not in stock. Right. Um, so you have to, you know, again that communication, that planning. This is not something you can do in Excel, depending on the number of, you know, products, the number of customers, as you continue to grow, you have to think about the automation and the technology. And the reason why I actually got into working with companies and startups that do subscription services and that do kind of like rental services you talked about keep um there's actually a metric when you're doing subscriptions and you're planning for you know demand and supply what's your keep rate in this particular item what's your keep rate in this particular product family pants shirts, dresses whatever it is um, or success rate, you know, depending, you can. I've, I've heard it called two different things, keep rate. answer. Right. Um, but you start to plan different metrics. So, if you are going to plan those metrics, what is the data that you need to actually calculate what that number looks like? And then at that point, you have to decide, you know, what's our break even and where are we actually profitable? Because, like you said, if people are sending it back, then we're not profitable because we've paid to send it to them we've also paid to have it sent back to us. And then, you know, also from an environmental perspective, you want to also stay on top of that. You know what I mean? It, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm just going to sh- you know, ship stuff back and forward. I don't care about the money, but then, you know, you get into emissions and, you know, wanting to be carbon neutral and, and things like that. And the customers that have the extra cash for these types of subscriptions care about that kind of stuff. And I know that I personally have seen a big change in subscription services um, that do the meal planning, the cooking. I remember a couple years ago when I first got my box, it was full of just stuff. There's just so much stuff And over the years, they've started to find like biodegradable packaging. Mm -hmm. Um, There are all these instructions on how you recycle this piece of the packaging. You know, rinse out your plastic, because some things have to be in plastic for the right. table. They have to be in plastic. So rinse it out, recycle it. Don't just throw it away. Um, this like ice, it's what keeps it cool. It's not dry right. ice. It's a non-toxic gel that you can dump into the trash and then you recycle the actual plastic. Um, so that has changed a lot over the the year. So you also have to consider, you know, your packaging. One thing that I didn't like about the... Um, about the the curated box for when I was pregnant was like just the random, pe- like it's cute, you open it, but it's like tons of just confetti. And is like- Right, <laughs> like what the is-
0: straw or yeah, yeah, it's almost like you know, it's, it's Easter is- and you have all that.
1: Of this because now I have to like, I, I remember going to the trash can <laughs> like this Hoping that like none of it would fall out. It would
0: always make a mess when you yeah, try to dump it somewhere and just exactly. It everywhere.
1: So, so those are the types of things that you also have to start thinking about because again, you want that consumer experience to be, oh, this is fun. I can't wait for my box to get here What's going to be in it this time. But you also don't want them to feel like, okay, what's all this packaging? Why is all this plastic? You know, how do I recycle this? Um, if I send it back because they didn't like this product, you know, there a lot of times their instruction that just says use this box, send me back. You know, what I mean, like, don't get another box, just use the same thing. Right. Um, but there's just from the packaging to the curation teams to these new data points that you need, the technology like really excelling in the subscription space re- requires a lot of investment in people and processes and systems. Because if it's not right, you will end up bleeding money like you end up bleeding money Um, because to your point, like you, you give more discounts, people buy more stuff. But at some point, there's also a break even on that. Um, And I, you know, you see it all the time. Now, if you go online, and you can spend $25 to buy this one time, or you can spend 2350 and do a subscription. Um, But a lot of times, those cancellations are so high because like, Oh, I just I just wanted the discount, you know, right now for a couple of months. But now the experience isn't really what I expected it to be and I'm not getting my money's worth for keeping this around. That happened with with my um, meal kit subscription. Like after a couple of months, the meals were just, you know, repeated, And we were getting these subscriptions because we didn't want to repeat the same meals that we were already cooking at home. So you have to stay on top of that. And um, it's not just like, I make blue pins, people are gonna order blue pins. It's a it's a lot more nuanced. Um, so if you can do it well, it works out great because you don't have to worry about that customer acquisition costs. You don't have to um, like you get your steady revenue stream. Your customers are on set it. Forget it. You are even developing this loyal customer base. And they're willing to now buy in and help you with A-B testing. And they're willing to provide feedback. Like, oh, we wanna try this new thing. And they're willing to go into that with you. Like they're devoted to it. Um, So it's it's great for both sides, but you also have to put in the work. Cause even with Amazon, Amazon is allowing you to do subscriptions now, but you have mm-hmm. to be able to ship to all 50 states, plus Guam and Puerto Rico. And you have to curate everything yourself. So you still have to do all of the work and planning and communication with your suppliers, et cetera. So is it great? Absolutely, but nothing easy, or nothing worth having is easy. Like you've got to make sure you're ready for it because otherwise you fail. A girl in our team was like devastated. She had built up all these points with this company and she had a subscription and then they stopped with the subscription service. They were acquired and it was, it was clear that without them saying it, it was clear that they just didn't do the planning and the subscription service was very costly and they weren't getting any um, profit from it. So the company that acquired them just nixed it. But they lost a lot of customers in the process because there I think I think she told me that the consolation prize was, well, you can get twenty percent off of you know your next order. And she's like, I've been building up these like coupons for a year. Right. <laughs> and and I should actually have like two, you know, months of free services, not twenty percent off my next order. Um, so you can you can, you know, fail as, as quickly as you can succeed if you don't do the investment up front of getting the processes um, in place and making sure that un- everyone understands their role in the process. Because you need to, like, me upstream, I have to understand how this is being used downstream to make sure right. that I'm doing it the right way.
0: Well, I guess, yeah, you know. I was going to say, my, my question, I guess, in that, like, as we're discussing this, uh, for people who are listening and joining us a little bit later again we're talking about demand and planning for uh, supply planning for subscriptions should people look at this as a supplemental part of your business as growing that that user base not as your main focus of revenue stream like you said it could be costly maybe this is somebody something that's hey I want to dip my toe in their their brand or their their product selection and maybe like, every few months or every month, you will send you like five curated small items, no more than a dollar amount, but unless they want to, they don't want to jump in fully, but this would be something to get kind of that, that testing market. Is this something that people should look into as a supplement to that? Or is it smart to just build your business as a subscription based model, whatever you're selling and kind of like offshoot from there, like buy one offs that you might like. Does that make sense? Like. Which structure
1: your question does make sense and um I I don't I I'm in consulting, so I hate to give the typical consultant answer. It depends.
0: It depends. (laughs) I I always ask the question, it depends. It
1: it, it does though, because um, you know what one of the things that we do and I I try to I don't want to say caveat, but definitely be very clear. Nothing that I ever say. Is like I I don't ever want people watching or listening to go start doing that thing because it very well could not at all be relevant to your business and you should not do something just because everybody else is doing it subscription market is a multi billion dollar opportunity. If it is right for your business, if it is not right for your business, don't go into subscriptions. Like you don't have to go into subscriptions. You're not going to do it if you're selling refrigerators,
0: guys. Yeah, let's just like we're not going to subscribe to refrigerators, new ones every single month. Like that'd be great. Like right, you have to move it. It's a thing. Now, yeah, you're right. It it really does depend. I guess I guess that market valuation you have to depend on. What's your cost of goods? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you'd have to look at. How easy Your is customer
1: it? Base. <laughs> yeah, because even whether it would it be replenishment or would it be, you know, a curation service? And exactly. there are companies that are subscription services. You mentioned Stitch Fix. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, But they've gone to
0: one off now. You you can actually you just can go on their direct
1: order. Exactly. That's where I was direct going. Order. But now, um, like at some point, you might decide, OK, we'll allow customers to also just order this one thing. Um, even in uh, like uh, a company that I worked for, they did rental services for, um, tuxedos. So like men's clothing and they started as just like rental. Okay. So we get it, we get it to you. You send it back to us. It's actually a great model because you just reuse the inventory. You only have to, you know, fix whatever is damaged or buy Mm -hmm. stuff if it's, you know, if it's damaged. But on that side, that's, you know, going back to the the inventory system, do you push, you pull, like. They then had this very real concern of, you know, you have to have enough inventory because, you know, when people. To fit all
0: models of people, all styles, styles, things like
1: that, et cetera. So at the time, their strategy was, we're just going to buy a bunch of stuff. And then push it out to the customer but then you have a lot of stuff <laughs> that maybe isn't being used and a lot of your assets and your capital is tied up in inventory so i digress um but you know they were doing the rental and then started okay if you actually just want to buy it you know now that you have worn it do you want to keep it um and maybe you don't want to keep the tuxedo but you want to keep the tie or you right. want to keep the shoes, um, and you know Stitch Fix does the same thing. Like you have your subscription, but maybe you want an add-on. Maybe you want to like buy something else. Um, or now, maybe I just want to go buy a shirt. I'm just going to buy a shirt um, as opposed to waiting for something coming in my curated box by my stylist. Um, but Dollar Shave Club, that was just subscription. Like we're just going to send you shave stuff. Um, so you really just have to decide where you want to fit in the market and if you want to put in the work of doing both or if you want to do one or the other um so i would say that's what it depends on how much work do you want to put into it because there are plenty of examples that i can tell you that you do both you know rodan and fields like beauty makeup um beauty and personal care is the the big bulk of where subscriptions are right now. And right. maybe I just want to get a new lipstick or maybe I'm going to wait because they know my lipstick is going to run out. So I'm just going to get the same lipstick every time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it, it's, it's very, it's very much a personal choice for the company. I, I would say it's a, it's an individual company choice of how much you want to invest time, money, energy, in doing both or one or the
0: other. Sure. That makes sense. And I, it's all very fascinating again. It's it could be a very lucrative market or it can be a supplemental to build your loyalty base. It could be this completely different offer, offering different companies that are like-minded like you. I've even seen them putting products in that same subscription box but they pay you to put their products in your box. Does that make sense like yeah, it's almost like there's concept- revenue the models different yes, ways.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's, it's very interesting that you say that because I remember thinking um, when and I I don't know if this is true, so don't hold me to it. I'm gonna spread a rumor. Um, <laughs> That's what we're <laughs> all about I, here. I remember when um, when I was a flight attendant, and people would say like, oh, you know, don't don't give the can because like we pay for that, and then other people would say, no, we don't. Like that is basically gifted to us because those brands want their product in the hands of all the passengers so i i don't know which one is actually true maybe it's a mix of both um but i do remember thinking you know when i got my box and i would see all these new products i remember i always remember thinking i wonder if the subscription company is getting paid to put like as a basically a sponsorship dollars if i had a product and i want people to know about it you know i can do different advertising i can do a billboard i can do an instagram ad. i can do a facebook ad i can do you know all of these different options one of those options is i'm going to put marketing dollars and sponsorship dollars in paying these subscription services to put my product in their box because what that does then maybe i give them a coupon and that will drive um that will drive customers back to buy directly from me because as the subscription service that's curating, they don't have their own products. Like I can't Mm -hmm. go to the subscription service. I couldn't go to the subscription service and say, okay, I want this new organic face wash for moms. I had to then go look for that actual company's website or look to see if I could find them in the local drugstore. And that's how I was able to buy the product. Um, So so, yeah, very good point. Um, Lots of different business models.
0: But you can get paid to even, like I said, the coupon code they might say like fifty dollars off, knowing that that coupon code only represents from that business, right? If they instead of a product they can say like fifty dollars off any of our products, you go to their website, you put in that code. Oh, I know for a fact that my marketing dollars worked because we spent anything of just put a code on a piece of paper. Now people are spending, you know, maybe twenty five less percent on our products, but they're still buying our products that they might not otherwise. Again, it's a it's an ad spend, it's a marketing spend in some of those boxes. Um, you can get creative and say, hey, learn about our, our goods and services. And if you are a fan, you get you know additional uh, discount. Or if you haven't, you're acquiring that customer essentially just through a, a piece of paper and a subscription box. So there's all these types of nuanced marketing like we talked about, you and I are marketing uh, minded people how to get people to buy directly from your website to gain access to them, knowing which outlets are working. It, it all kind of works together. Um, we did have a quick question. Um, I know we're already at the close to the top of the hour, uh, DC. So um, we did have someone from a friend of the show who asked, uh, wouldn't push for versus poll, and this is going back to our you know, uh, supply demand uh, questions, uh, would push versus poll just have a different risk, uh, have a different risk factor, which poll based being based on current demand.
1: Yep, absolutely. That is that was 100% um, true, especially with pool being both based on current demand. So um, in, in any sense, you want to make sure that you are forecasting demand. Um, but a lot of times, if I think about like a push system, um, specifically what comes to mind is like, you know, lot for lot ordering every, every two months, I'm going to order 6,000 units because that's just what I do. You can't do that with a pool system because then you like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, so what you're doing is forecasting the demand. It's more, it's more close related to just in time. How much are people going to ask for next month based off of, or, two months, three months, whatever, is based off of my lead time that it takes me to get this product. And that's how much I'm going to order. So of course, yes, you risk that people want more, you don't have enough, so you stock out, um, or that people want less, you have too much, and then you have to figure out what to do with it. Um, so you might put something on promotion to try to get rid of that inventory. Um, but with a pull system, like we talked about, it requires a lot more Organized supply and supply sales and operations planning process. Is I don't, it,
0: wanna, is I don't want. Is that more your? Go ahead. I was going to say, are you? Is that more of what you're seeing? You're seeing a lot more um, smaller based quantities uh, more often that are being requested from their suppliers instead of like big bulk orders saying, "I'm what like twenty thousand units." Yes, more, exactly. more often that trickle effect, if you will. Mm-hmm.
1: because you because you have to you have to weigh um, you have to weigh the holding cost with the shipping cost and the value of the inventory and how much of your capital is going to be tied up, um, but also wanting to meet customer demand. So you might hear like service levels um, is is a is a metric that might end up being um, tracked a little bit more often and. It just requires a lot more true cross-functional collaboration. I say SNOP sales and operations planning, but also kind of like, oh, I don't want to say it <laughs> because there's there's a lot of room for opportunity to interpret what that means, um, and it's also not. If I think of sales and operations planning, and when I talk to companies, it's you don't really hear that term and see those processes in motion or even the idea at some of your smaller businesses. Um, For whatever reason, Mm -hmm. a lot of small businesses reserve those types of processes for big, large enterprises Mm -hmm. or companies, but the underlying value of the process is the same. Whether there are four or five people involved, or four hundred people involved, or four thousand different actors across the globe, the underlying processes are the same. So, yeah, there are risks and you know um, pros and cons for both systems, absolutely. Um, and uh, again, like I mentioned you normally will have some type of hybrid system. Um, most companies have a mix of push and pull depending on, you know, the point of the supply chain. So vendor, raw material supplier, um, maybe you're manufacturing, maybe not. Um, and, you know, even in the case for, um, you know, certain companies, like you might have, you might sell other people, it's like the grocery store. I sell Kellogg's brand, but I also sell my store brand. Mm -hmm. So I have to also plan my manufacturing as much as I have to plan orders from Kellogg's. So, you know, again, it's always, it depends (laughs) and you have to weigh the investment that it takes, the inputs and the outputs, et cetera, because it requires a lot of advanced reporting to do it well. And that advanced reporting requires a lot of data. To get that data to a point to where it's actually usable, you need a lot of systems, like actual technology tools. Um, so like you just keep going on and on. You need more, you need more, you need more. So then does your total cost of ownership justify making this decision to go into this market or to offer, you know, in addition to my subscription, we're also now going to do direct order. In addition to my direct order, we're now also going to offer a subscription. Um, so I mean that's that's one of the things that I find the most interesting with our clients and what we do is that business case development and ROI analysis um, because it allows me to be very methodical and how we talked about previous like engineering there you are taught as an engineer to think very step by step, I feel like a lot more critical thinking and taking those concepts and applying it to business, which tends to be traditionally a lot more, oh, gut feel, Mm, how's this going to go? Well, if you meet in the middle with applying those engineering processes and concepts to the business, what you get is hard numbers and analyses that say low, medium, high scenario, you should pursue subscriptions low medium high scenario you should not pursue subscriptions as opposed to just oh my goodness guys i read 400 billion dollars by 2020, 2025 we gotta get on it it might not make sense
0: dc told me to start it now <laughs> well i was yeah with well, that being said so i guess like with the few minutes we have left before the top of the hour uh, what would you tell a client that's asking you dc um what should i focus on for the rest of the quarter of the year going into 2022 it, is it diversifying and trying something new like this, uh, maybe going to subscriptions, or um, how do they look at their numbers and know that they're ready, potentially to dive into it?
1: Um, how do you look at the numbers and know? Um, that's a good question, and I don't think that I have just kind of like one standard answer that right. I can- It's almost I, like a,
0: you I know guess. when you're ready. Kind well, it's not
1: it's not you know when you're ready, um, but you know, first of all, is, is what you're doing already now. And I, the assumption is that you have a business, not mm-hmm. that you're like sitting and saying, DC, should I start a business? <laughs> like right. the, the idea Two is different things. assuming that you already have a business. Um, well, before you do anything, the first thing that I would say, um, like even aside from the business analysis of should we invest in subscriptions or if you're in subscriptions should we invest in you know some type of direct order um to diversify is what you're doing now profitable and repeatable and going back to those Nana. no mi amor no puedes ya lo comiste la vitamina para hoy mm. okay <laughs> Um, he just asked if he could have a vitamin, but he already had his vitamin. Oh,
0: there you go. Well, Hey, that's a nice thing to ask. Can I, can I keep myself healthy mom?
1: (laughs) I can have another vitamin. Um, but, um, but yeah, are, are your processes repeatable? Are they standard? Does everyone know what they're doing? Because if people don't know what they're doing now, they don't know why they're doing it now. And you throw in another mix, then it's just going to be even messier. So if you want to consider diversifying and adding on this additional sales channel or revenue stream in Q1, then what you should do in Q4 is that piece of it. Like start documenting your current processes. How are the, like, what's your current state versus your ideal state? Um, And I like to tell my customers to use the SIPOC. Um, framework again, kind of going back to like your more technical stuff, use a SIPOC framework. So, your supplier, your input, your process, your output, and your customer. Um, and, you know, what who is giving me this information? What is the information? What is now going to happen that I'm going to do with this information? What is the output of what I just did? And who is going to consume that? So if you can identify that and document it for everything that you're already doing, because like I mentioned, you're probably going to have to up your software game a little bit. And if someone's going to come in with software or a developer, they're going to have questions about what inputs and outputs are, what business process am I supporting and you have to be able to give them something so that they can look at it and say, I need to develop the system or configure the system to support this yeah. business process. So document right. your processes. Um, make sure that everyone yeah. understands. See sí, me more. Make sure that he just needs to be acknowledged.
0: That's okay. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) he's like,
0: "Mommy, hit your hour mark."
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he is also. Um, But make sure your processes are documented. Make sure people know what's going on. Um, And start to look at your systems and your data. If your data is already, you know, a mess, it's not going to get better because you're going to need a lot more data points. Um, So. But Be- before you even embark on determining like the actual ROI analysis, like just get the house in order. And Absolutely. then because you, you also can't do the ROI analysis if your current data points aren't even if you can't pull a report. They're not correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. you can't pull a report consistently every Monday that's going to show you the same like the numbers the values themselves will be different but the columns everything else is going to be the same every single time and you have confidence that those are correct because that's a whole separate conversation (laughs) we need a part
0: part, two but
1: (laughs) do they make sense (laughs) so before you can even start to do the roi and the business analysis you have to make sure that like the data is in the right place and the business systems are in the right place because um and operating systems, not technology tools, because that's going to help you understand, okay, now what are all of the things that I need to buy and what's the investment that I would need to make? Um, Even looking at your current team, if we do get this tool because we need it, because it is going to provide better data, well, do you have someone on your team that can interpret that data? So, you know, it's not just, hey, here are some numbers. It's a lot of fixing things first or getting things in order so that you can then run the numbers and from there you can decide. And that takes a lot more time than you think because you have to do that plus you have to run your business. So if you want to I was going to say, if
0: if someone's listening to this right now, DC and someone's like, I need need your your help. uh, how, How do people get in touch with you? Like, what's the best way after all this? And they're like, I realize I need your help. I need help sorting these processes. What's the best way like people can reach out to you, connect with you in that regards?
1: Um, Message on LinkedIn. uh, Definitely a message on LinkedIn um, or just email me um, like our URL. It's dc at newgenarchitects.com. Just my name. Um, at the email architects, we build uh, and engineer processes and systems, not buildings and bridges. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it's newgenarchitects.com and just DC at newgenarchitects.
0: I'd be happy in- to,
1: to talk to no, re- regardless of where you are. Um, it's it's very interesting stuff for me, so um, I, I do like to make time regardless But like you said
0: you client you, you have clients but you also you consult as well so which is super fascinating this is the space that i'm always like back here i'm just like i'm gonna listen the whole time i this is not me talking anymore this is me listening writing mental notes because it's such a fascinating no matter which path you go down it's always going to yield so many different factors like data points. How do you ebb and flow with different things? That's There's why so many
1: things. Is so fun. There you go.
0: Well, that, that's, <laughs> the yeah, exactly. supply
1: chain is so fun. Um, but I mean, I really want to drive home that like research has show, has shown, it's not what you decide to do, it's how you decide to do it. So you can decide you want to do one, you can decide you want to do the other, um, but you have to just make sure that everyone knows what's going on. The business process is understood and the communication and collaboration is happening to make sure that whatever you decide is actually executed in a way that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for hopping on today. Again, now friend of the show of crossover commerce. I'm. We'll have to have you on just to to talk part two and three and just go down these rabbit holes. Like I, I promised we wouldn't go down, but uh, <laughs> there's just so much to, there's so much to go through and to always kind of keep, like you said, learning and stay in front of it. It's almost impossible to do, but Hey, you're one of those few people I think that that could handle it. So thank you so yeah. much for hopping on crossover commerce today, DC. Uh, it, it was very fascinating as always. And, uh, thank you for the time. I know with a little one running around, it's always tough to to step away for this long. So I appreciate the time.
1: No, I appreciate you having me. I, I thought we would get through it. Um,
0: we were there. We're almost there.
1: Well, but, well he, he, he made an appearance. He made but- it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it as always. Uh, always having a uh, surprise guest appearances is always nice on the show. So thank you so much again for your time. And uh, we'll have to connect again here shortly to part two or three here going into Q4 2022. So thanks yeah. so much.
1: We're always happy to come back.
0: Thank you. <laughs> thanks, DZ. Again, thank you again for everyone else who hopped on and listed to Crossover Commerce. Again, this is my show, my corner of the internet, as I like to call it, of the best and brightest in the Amazon e-commerce space. Again, we talked uh, logistics, subscriptions. I think that my biggest takeaway is going to be uh, this can be a big supplemental part of your income or it can actually be a big focus. We talked a lot about a lot of brands and businesses who uh, make this the number one component of their life, but, uh, it might be a little bit difficult to forecast for, um, supply and demand. It could be something that you can have as part of your baseline and know what to expect, um, on a month to month basis. But it also can be something that can be difficult for how do you keep it fresh? How to use the data points to help build customer loyalty, brand loyalty, product, um, cultivation and innovation, all these different things you can learn and grow through a subscription based service. So, um, that being said, and you're ready for that part of your business. Go ahead and you can give uh, DC and her team over at New Gen Architects a call or an email with there again. Uh, all the all of our contact information is going to be on the show notes below. But if you like what we hear, you heard today, or if you liked what you uh, saw, go ahead and of course give us a big thumbs up on all of our different platforms. Uh, you can, uh, as you can see, if you're very familiar with the show, I have lots lots of cool little graphics now. You can add to add to the streams, but give us a thumbs up on all of our social media platforms on this episode specifically on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or uh, Twitter. Or you can, if you're listening to us, give us a thumbs up as well on your favorite podcast platforms. That being said, I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet. We'll catch you guys later this na- later this week. Again, we'll be live again tomorrow. Just a quick little uh, uh, little teaser, if you will, of how a million-dollar brand becomes a $10 million brand with Chase, a uh, climber of Electric Eye. We're going to be talking with him tomorrow tomorrow live on all of our social media channels. So if you like what you have to hear, go ahead and tune in and ask your questions. But other than that, my name is Ryan Kramer. This is episode 151 of Crossover Commerce, take care.